I've always loved rivers. I don't know what it is, but ever since I was a kid, I've always just loved looking at a river. I think it's because it's moving. It's not stagnant. The water is going someplace. It has a purpose and a direction. But the route of a river is rarely straight. Most of the time, there's twists and there's turns. In fact, if you've ever been in a river before, you know that there's these moments when you don't know what's around the bend. Is there a drop-off or is it a calm stretch? In many ways, that mirrors life. The route that we take in life is rarely straight. We tend to think, oh, I'll go off to college, I'll graduate, I'll meet somebody, we'll have a couple kids, move into a nice neighborhood, retire someday. But that's rarely how it goes. Many times there's twists and there's turns. And there's those moments when you don't know what's around the corner. You don't know, is there a drop-off or is it a calm stretch? In Joshua chapter 3, God's people find themselves on the edge of the Jordan River. After 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, they have finally come to the promised land. It was a land that God had promised them long ago. But there was just one problem, the Jordan River. At the time of year that they would have come to the Jordan, it was at flood stage. In fact, at one point, the Jordan flows through the Zor Gorge. And the Zor Gorge is 150 feet wide and at points 20 to 30 feet up in the air. During flood season, that gorge would have been filled with fast-moving water. But Joshua was determined to cross that river. And so in verse 6, he turns to the priests and he says this. He says, lift up the Ark of the Covenant and lead the people across the river. And so they started out. In verse 8, he then says to them, when you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps in and stop. Now, I want you to picture this for just a moment because here's these priests standing there with the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulder, which was essentially a heavy box. And they're looking down at this raging river in front of them. And here's Joshua behind him going, yeah, take the first step in. If I'm the priest, I'm going, you take the first step in. It looks scary. And maybe you're on the edge of something scary today. Maybe there's a challenge in your life. Maybe there's a faith-filled risk that you've been thinking about taking. But you think, God, if I take that step, I might get swept away. As the priest stood there at the edge of the Jordan, the question they had to ask is, would they cross the river? Would they take one step in and allow God to do the rest? And that's the question I want to ask you today. Will you cross your river? Will you take one step in and allow God to do the rest? Part of following Jesus Christ is that at times we come to the edge. We come to these moments that feel unsafe and uncertain, but here's what you need to know. The miracle that you're looking for, the miracle that you hope that God will do, it's not on the riverbank, it's in the river. When we recorded that video earlier this week, we didn't know what was around the bend. We didn't know that right now we would not be gathered at our physical campuses, but we would be viewing this message online as a church, gathering in homes all throughout the state of Minnesota, all throughout the country, in fact. But that's how life is. You, it has twists and it has turns. And so the question I want to ask you today is this, what is your river? What is that obstacle between you and where God wants you to go? It might feel unsafe to you. It might feel unpredictable. It might feel uncertain. 
You're not even sure you want to step in, let alone jump in. But here's what you need to know. God does some of his best work in the river. It's in the river where you experience God's protection and provision. It's in the river where you sense your faith being stretched and strengthened. The life of faith is not on the riverbank. The life of faith is in the river. Years ago, when I was a youth pastor, I used to take students on a trip down to Colorado to go whitewater rafting. And we would go to this little town called Buena Vista, where we would camp alongside the Arkansas River. And the Arkansas River has some of the best whitewater rafting in the country. It has class four and class five rapids. Here's how a class four rapid is defined. It's powerful, intense, but predictable. A class five rapid is defined as obstructed, violent, and exposing paddler to risk. And I took teenagers to this place. It was fine. We only ever had one kid who fell in. I'm actually serious. We were going through an intense rapid. There was a rock that was jutting out. We skirted around the edge of that. And we got to this calm stretch of the river. And we were basking in the sun as we were floating down. And all of a sudden, I heard a bloop. And I looked around and realized we were missing one. And he just fell off. He was just adjusting his life jacket and just, you know, just accidentally fell off into the river. Now, I can tell you stories about whitewater rafting, and you can potentially picture that in your head. But it's a completely different experience when you're in the raft and you feel that it's completely airborne. The river can be a scary place. And maybe that's where you find yourself today. Maybe you're on the edge of something scary. Maybe the coronavirus has you anxious and worried like you've never experienced before in your life. Maybe there's a challenge that you're about to go through with your health or a challenge in a relationship or in your job. Maybe there's something in your life, a faith-filled risk, and you just know that God wants you to take it. You know that God wants you to cross that river. But everything in you is going, God, I, I just can't do it. I don't have what it takes. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is when you don't let fear stop you. Courage is when you do what God says to do, even when you're not so sure how it's going to pan out. And courage is something that you can't just muster up on your own. It's not something that comes from within. It comes from the Holy Spirit of God. And so today, if you are on the edge of the riverbank and you are looking at where God wants you to go, my hope is that you would cross your river. But before you do, there's four things that you need to know about river crossings. The first one is this. You need to be spiritually ready. So the Israelites were camped on the banks of the Jordan River and Joshua comes to the people and here's what he says. He says, then Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do amazing things to consecrate yourself meant to purify yourself or to be spiritually ready. When a surgeon is about to perform a surgery, they will wash their hands and their arms because they want to remove any impurity that could cause an infection. 
In the same way, Joshua is saying to his people, if you're going to cross this river, you have to be spiritually prepared. You need to make sure that your hands are clean and that your heart is pure and anything that could contaminate what God wants to do is removed. A few months ago, our family went to a water park to celebrate my daughter and youngest son's birthday, and we stayed overnight. And so the next morning, we were the first ones in line at this water park. And we went running to the tube slides. We went down about five times before the lines got too long. And then as we were walking back, my son jumped into the lazy river. And immediately, the lifeguard came running up, and she said, you need to get out right away. And then she added, you need to rinse off immediately. And I thought, geez, lighten up. I mean, I, I, I know it's maybe not open yet, but he doesn't have to rinse off immediately. And then I looked at my watch, and I realized, well, it was about 10 o'clock. Why wasn't the lazy river open? So I asked the mom who was standing next to me, I said, hey, are they not going to open the lazy river today? She said, oh, no, they had to shut it down. Some kid pooped in it. Oh, good, good, good to know that. The lazy river had become contaminated. Here's the truth about the culture that we live in today. We live in a river of culture that has become contaminated. Look what the Bible says about this in Isaiah 64. It says we're all sin-infected, sin-contaminated. Our best efforts are like filthy rags. We live in a world right now where our teenagers are being tempted every day to inhale something or to vape. They're being tempted to send immodest pictures to other kids in school. They are being tempted to bully somebody who looks different than them or to be bombarded by sexual images coming across on their phone. As adults, we are tempted to gossip about our neighbor. We're tempted to slam somebody on social media with whom we disagree. We're tempted to view pornography, be unfaithful to our spouse, fudge on our taxes, or just simply ignore God and do whatever we want to do. That's why you got to rinse off. You've got to be spiritually prepared every day to cross those rivers. It's one of the reasons why I believe it's so important for people to have a morning routine. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Bob Merritt mentioned it in a message. But I believe that most successful people have a distinct morning routine. When I get up in the morning and drive into work, I have the radio off. Because I want to pray through every meeting and every message and ask that God would bless it in my life. When I get into work, the first thing that I do is I will read the Bible. It's because reading the Bible is like swimming upstream. Downstream is a steady flow of anxiety, discouragement, and false teaching. You get it from 24-hour news stations. You get it from social media. And so when I read the Bible, it's an opportunity for me to set all of that aside and just to hear from God and remind myself of his promises. Let me ask you, what is your morning routine? I used to wake up in the morning. First thing I would do is get on ESPN.com. And then I'd get on email and Facebook and Twitter. And all of a sudden, I'm just in the rabbit hole. 
And then I would say, you know, I've just got so much to do today. I don't have time to read my Bible. And so I'm getting stuff done, crossing things off my to-do list. But spiritually, I wasn't ready to cross the rivers that God had for me that day. I'm telling you, you need a morning routine. And morning routines can vary from season to season. I've gone through times where I will listen to the Bible on my YouVersion app on the way into work. I've had times when I would journal or write out my prayers. I've had other seasons where I didn't do that. But there is a boring predictability to successful people. In fact, when I'm at my absolute best, I will eat the same thing for breakfast every day. I will get up at the same time. I'll get into work at the same time. I'll read my Bible at the same time. I'll go work out at the same time. When I'm not at my best, hit the snooze once, hit the snooze twice, hit the snooze three times. Now all of a sudden I'm already behind and I'm going, you know, God, I just don't have time to spend with you today and I don't have time for breakfast. End up eating a donut hole in the break room. Here's why this ought to matter to you. Every single one of us is not performing at the level of our potential. We are performing at the level of our preparation. What I mean is that every person has gifts, they have talents, they have abilities. But most people are not performing at the level of their potential. They're performing at the level of their preparation. In NASCAR, and I can't believe I'm about to use an analogy from NASCAR. I am told that there are 350 people that work on a car before the race. It's because they understand that their performance is tied to their preparation. Whatever river that is that God has called you to cross today, are you spiritually prepared? Joshua said to his people, he said, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Do you want God to do amazing things in your marriage? Amazing things in your family, your business, your school, or your church? You've got to be spiritually prepared. Here's the second thing that you need to know about river crossings, and it's this. Make sure it's the right river. So the Israelites had been wandering for 40 years. They knew the terrain quite well. But just to be sure, Joshua sent out two spies. And those two spies came back to Joshua. And they told him, they said, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Now what's interesting about this is that the Israelites knew the terrain. They knew, you would think, the rivers that were coming up. But just to be sure, Joshua sends out two spies. He wants to make sure that this is the river that God wants them to cross. He wants to gather some information to make sure that this is the right river. There are some of us today, and you might be standing on the edge of moving in with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. And I just want to ask you today, are you sure that that's the right river? Better send out some spies. Better gather some more information. Research tells us that couples who live together before marriage are more likely to experience abuse, infidelity, 
They're more likely to have financial loss or divorce if they do end up getting married one day. Statistically and biblically, that is not the right river. Make sure you're crossing the right river. How do you know what the right river is? Well, it's not based on your feelings. It's not based on what you want to do. You, you have to compare it to what the Bible says and what godly people in your life are saying because you don't want to cross the wrong river. Here's the second thing that you, or third thing you need to know about river crossings, and it's this. Expect trouble. Just expect it. So God came to Joshua, and he said to him, you know, when you, when you cross the river, Joshua, you're going to have seven nations that are ready to battle against you. And if I'm Joshua, I'm looking at this situation, I'm going, are you kidding me, God? I mean, come on, we, we consecrated ourselves, we sent out some spies, and now you're telling me that we're going to have to battle seven different nations? It's because anytime you try to do something significant for God, trouble always accompanies it. Anytime you try to cross the river to get to where God wants you to go, you should expect opposition. Jesus said it this way. He said, in this life, you will have trouble. Just, just expect it. Just, just bank on it. It's, it's going to happen. When my wife and I moved into our second house, we knew it was kind of a fixer-upper. But we had a home inspection done, and the inspector found very little. And so we went ahead and bought the house. And at the closing, the guy that I was buying it from, he was from the Ukraine. And he had built a sauna down in the basement. And you could tell he was really proud of it because he, he sort of leaned in and he said, did, did you see the sauna? And I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, that's, that's pretty cool. And then he leans over to me and he goes, and it works too. And I thought, huh, why, why wouldn't it have worked? Well, then I moved into the house and found that the sauna was about the only thing that worked. The doorbell didn't work. The water softener didn't work. I got electrocuted down in the shower because he had done all the wiring himself and there was electricity flowing through the water. That was a pretty fun shower. But I should have expected trouble. Jesus said, in this life, just expect trouble. Bank on it. Some things are not going to work. If you go see a marriage counselor, expect trouble. You're, you're going to stir up things you didn't even know you were angry about. And you're going to go through about six months of, of some deep, intense conflict. You're, you're going to have some trouble. If you decide to go back to school to get your degree, expect trouble. When you discipline a child, trouble. When you adopt a child, it might not always go smoothly. There might be some trouble that accompanies that. But that doesn't mean that that's not the river that God wants you to cross. Every time you try to cross a river to get to where God wants you to go, you should expect trouble. You should expect opposition. In fact, the only way to avoid trouble is to stay standing on the riverbank. Which leads to the fourth thing that you need to know about river crossings, and it's this. Take the step. 
So the Israelites are standing on the edge of the Jordan River, and look at what Joshua says to them. It says, as soon as the priests reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. This blows my mind. They put one foot into the river, and all of a sudden, this water that had been raging past them, it stops. It is no longer flowing. And notice that God doesn't say to them, hey, take 10 steps. Take 20 steps. Why don't you try to get halfway across the river on your own, and then, you know, I'll fill in the rest. He simply said, take one. I wonder how many of us here today, God is waiting for you to take one step. Not 10 steps, not 20 steps, not do part of it on your own. He's simply waiting for you to take one step. Nothing happens until you take a step. Problem is that many of us spend our time looking at our problems, looking at our obstacles in the river, and we take our eyes off of God. It reminds me of Peter in the New Testament. He was sitting in a boat, and all of a sudden he saw Jesus miraculously walking towards him on the water. And in a moment of great faith, Peter got up out of the boat, and he began to walk on water as well. But then look at what it says happened. It says, but when he looked around at the high waves, he was terrified and began to sink. As long as his eyes were on Jesus, he was a walking miracle. But the moment he took his eyes off of Jesus, that's when he began to sink. What are your eyes fixed on today? Are they fixed on the coronavirus and all the problems and all the what ifs and all the this could happen and that could happen? Or are your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith? See, what a lot of us do is we say, you know, God, I know the step you want me to take, but I'll do it tomorrow. I'll make that phone call next week. I'll try to reconcile that relationship sometime. I'll start that project, I don't know, sometime in the future. But here's what you need to know. Delayed disobedience is still disobedience. Don't wait until tomorrow to do what God has asked you to do today. If you know the step that God wants you to take, you need to take that step. I mentioned earlier that our family went to a water park about a month ago. And my daughter, Anna, my youngest daughter, is 15 months old. And up until that point, she had taken a step here and a step there, but nothing, you know, real significant. But at the water park, it was cold and it was wet and the ground was cement. And here's a picture of her kind of trying to navigate all of that. But when she looked up and she saw the kiddie water park with buckets of water dripping down and bright colored slides, she stood up on her feet and she took one step, and then she took two steps, and then she took three steps, and she was on her way. And as parents, what do you do in that moment? I mean, you're, you're grinning from ear to ear, and you're clapping, and you're, you're like, you can do it. Even though you know eventually they're going to fall. But as a parent, when they do, you're not like, get up, loser. What, what, do you, what do you think, we're going to clap for three steps? Oh, the bar separate. No, you, you don't do that as a parent. 
Because as a mother or a father, you just rejoice to see them take one step. Here's the picture I want you to have of God today. He rejoices to see you take one step. When he sees his son or his daughter take one step towards him, he is like a proud parent who's smiling and clapping. Look what the Bible says in Zechariah chapter 4. It says, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. It said God rejoices. And notice that it says, Do not despise these small beginnings. I once heard Pastor Craig Groeschel say this. He said, Don't let the start stop you. Don't let the start stop you. But this is what happens to so many of us. We let the start be the thing that stops us. You have a sense that God wants you to write a book. But you think, well, I don't really have a publisher. And, you know, I don't have this all figured out. And I don't know if I have the time. But if you would just start. If you would just write one page every day for this week, you'd be seven pages into your first book. Or you say to yourself, you know what, I want to become a more generous kind of person. What if you said, I'm going to start to give 1% more than I gave last year? Do not despise the small beginnings. Or, or maybe you feel like, you know what, I, I want to work out more. I want to get healthier with my eating. But, but you never go to the store and actually buy the food and plan out the meals Nothing happens until you take that step. But see, that's the problem for many of us is that we want to eat healthier, for example, but we go to the grocery store and there's that aisle that has the Twinkies and the Ho-Hos and the oatmeal cream cookies. And we walk in and we think, oh, here's what you need to do. You need to fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus is back at the fresh produce. You just keep your eyes fixed on him. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Buy the right food, plan out the meals, just simply get started. The miracle that God is going to do in your life, it will take place when you take one step. In fact, look at how this story ends. It says, as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away. The priests who carried the ark stood on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan until the whole nation had crossed over on dry ground. This is a miracle. If you want to see God do a miracle in your marriage, it might take a year of reading biblically-based books and going to see a pastor or counselor, but nothing will happen until you take one step. If you want to see a miracle in your finances, what scary step is it that you need to take? Maybe it's downsizing. Maybe it's renting. Maybe it's cutting back on your spending. But nothing will happen until you take a step. Let's say you want to grow in your faith. What, if you, what scary step do you need to take? Is it start to serve or join a small group at church? But nothing will happen until you take a step. Everyone wants to go across the Jordan River, but not many want to take a step into the Jordan River. 
Many people want to see God do a miracle in their life, but they're not willing to put themselves in a position where a miracle can happen. My mother-in-law had a miracle happen at the dentist's office. Not a place that you would normally experience a miracle, but she was in the waiting room for an hour and a half. I mean, if that was me, I would just be, I mean, I'm leaving after a half hour. When she finally got in to see the dentist, the dentist, who was a young woman, apologized to her. She said, oh, I'm so sorry for your wait. Now, my mother-in-law at that moment, she could have just said, mm, fine. She could have rolled her eyes, given her a piece of her mind. But my mother-in-law took a small step, a small step in the boldness of her faith. And she looked at that dentist and she said, I'm fine. God gave me patience. And then a little bit later, the dentist was asking her, what do you have going on later today? And my mother-in-law said, oh, I've got Bible study. And she took another little step. And this dentist, who was a young mom, a young woman, looked at my mother-in-law and she said, you know, I don't mean to intrude, but could I come with you to your Bible study? I've been struggling and I need a church and I know I need a church, but I don't know where to go. And when you said the thing about how God gave you patience, I thought this is a person who could maybe help me find a church. The dentist came to the Bible study that night and came for the next three weeks. She started bringing her mom with her to come to church. And God is doing a miracle in her life. All because my mother-in-law took a series of small steps. Let me ask you, what step is it that you need to take today? What, what risk is it that you sense that God is calling you to just step out in faith? Make sure you're spiritually prepared. Make sure that you're crossing the right river. Expect that there's going to be some trouble. And then you need to take the step. In fact, right now, across everyone who's viewing this message, I'm going to ask you to do something that Maybe a little bit weird, and if you're in a certain position, you don't, you don't have to do it, but I'm going to ask you just to stand up right now. In your house, in your home, would you just stand up for just a moment? And, in, and I'm going to invite you to take a step forward. In just a second, I'm going to invite all of us at the same time to just take a step. Every time I speak at church, right before I'm about to speak, I, I take a step forward. And symbolically, what I'm saying in that step is, God, I'm stepping out of my power and strength, and I am stepping into your power and your strength. And I wonder how many of us here today need to take a step. How many of us need to take a step out of our anxiety and into God's peace? How many of us need to take a step out of our fear and into faith. Or maybe for you, there's a challenge. There's an obstacle. There's a place that you know that God wants you to go, but it feels way too risky to you. You just need to take one step. And so right now together, 
In just a moment, I'm going to invite you to take that step. And it's symbolically saying, God, I'm stepping out of myself, out of my fears, out of my worries and anxieties. I'm casting those onto you, and I'm stepping into your power and strength. Let's just take a step forward together right now and symbolically declare to God that we are stepping towards him. Let's pray together. God, as we stand in homes and other places all throughout the country right now, we declare that we step out of our anxiety and into your peace. We step out of our fear and into faith. We step out of looking at our problems and the obstacles and the risks and all the reasons it can't be done. And we step into seeing the power that is available through Jesus Christ when you take a step. God, the miracle that we are seeking, it's not on the riverbank, it's in the river. And so I pray, God, as we take a step towards you, that we would experience your protection and provision, that we would sense our faith being stretched and strengthened. And if there's a miracle, God, that you want to do in our life, pray that you would give us the strength and courage to take the step that we need to take. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great weekend, everybody.